This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. My name is Andy Haynes, and Michaela, my youngest, is here with me this morning. And uh, my wife, Amy, and Micah and Mia, my older two, are at our home church in Worcester, the Church on Seven Hills. But they also send their greetings and wish they could have been here uh, this morning to be with you. Um, Chris mentioned that I'm, I'm the director of collegiate strategy. Basically, that's churches like yours and ministries across New England working together to reach a generation of students, to see this generation of college students passionate for Christ and his church. And I want to thank you for being a, a member church and a member movement. Thank you for your support of the effort and um, for your giving as well as, as part of your offering goes to support um, the work across New England, you are in a very tangible and real way having an impact across our six-state region. So thank you. <clears throat> We're going to spend our time today in Matthew 13. This is the first of two weeks. I'll be with you next week as well. And uh, we'll be looking at two stories Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 13. Um, And so you can go ahead and turn there. And Matthew 13, especially the final parables of the chapter, are explanations of the kingdom of God given to people who had an expectation of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven would be like. But that expectation was defined on their own terms. And so these stories that Jesus tells are corrective and clarifying as to what the kingdom of God is. In teaching by story, by parable, Jesus fulfilled prophecy and furthered the understanding of those with faith, while at the same time confusing those who did not exhibit faith and did not understand. His explanation of this is recorded in in chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. His first parable, I think you've already covered, that's the parable of the sower here in Matthew 13. Today we're going to dive into the parable of the wheat and weeds from Matthew uh, 13. 24 to 30 is the story, and then 36 to 43 is the explanation. Before we dive in, I'd like to lead us in one more prayer as we come before God and his word. Father in heaven, you are the one true God. Your every thought and action is perfect because you are perfect. You alone are holy. You alone are just. You alone are righteous. You alone are true. You alone, Father, are love. We declare your excellencies this morning, and as we learn from you through your word, we're thankful because your word is true and trustworthy. We thank you for the message of your word that we are justified freely by your grace through your son, Jesus. And we pray this morning that we would be more like him. Help us to apply this word to our lives so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, and then 36 to 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then down in verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This story contains a great deal of spiritual significance. And Jesus' explanation shows us with stark and clarifying statements truth about the kingdom of heaven. So as we kind of work through this story this morning, let's remember that the primary intent of Jesus at this time was to give understanding as to what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is and what it is not. And so as a primary application this morning, we need to believe what Jesus teaches about the kingdom and live like those who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. First and foremost, we need to know that Jesus is the author and master of the kingdom of heaven. This first and primary reality we need to understand is because he is Lord of the kingdom of God. He is author and master of the kingdom. I say author because he sows good seed in his field. Does he, he creates and writes what is to be in his field. Just as an author would write on a page, so he sowed in his field what should be there. Right. Every aspect of heaven and earth are Jesus's. In one sense, Jesus's kingdom is limitless. And this earth... This field is part of that kingdom. That's why he's also the master. He doesn't just create it. He rules it. He's the Lord. There is nothing outside of his domain. He gives instructions to the workers, and they obey him. He sows the seed, and it grows. He prepares the field, and it receives the seed. Right? It's all his. Jesus is making some very powerful statements in this story about himself. He's claiming to be the ruler of the kingdom, and he's explaining that he is the Lord. In his explanation, Jesus states that the Son of Man is the one who sows the seed. 
That's a title he uses elsewhere to refer to himself. That's a title from the book of Daniel chapter 7. And in using this title, Jesus is very much connecting something his disciples may have remembered from their training in religious school and also something that they would intuitively know. They would know him as a son of man. They would know intuitively that he is very human. They're walking with him and living with him and talking with him. And at the same time, he's also making a connection to Daniel chapter 7 and saying he is very much not human. He is very much God and King. In Daniel 7, we read this about the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The master of the kingdom is everlasting. And in a very real way, the master of the kingdom was speaking with his disciples then and still ruling today. He has that power. As author and master, the son of man He sows good seed. And it's important to understand as we progress this morning that God sows good seed in his field. Looking at the world today and the state of humanity, we can easily wonder, is that true? If God sows good seed in his field, why is so much bad going on all the time? Uh, Earlier this week, our family took an Independence Day vacation to the mid-Atlantic states, and we visited family in Delaware that incredible destination of a vacation, and uh, spent two days in Washington, D.C., right? The seat of power in the world. They didn't let me do any of it. They didn't give me any power while I was there. But we visited all manner of sites of historic significance, right? We saw memorials and monuments, all to incredible achievements against a backdrop of terrible moments, Ford's Theater, where Lincoln was shot, and the Peterson House, where he died, JFK's grave, the tomb of the unknown soldier, the Korean War Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial, and the World War II Monument, where America's victory promoted freedom over tyranny. All these good moments in the midst of evil. We only had time for one Smithsonian. We went to air and space, and walking in, I looked up, and they had Sputnik on display on loan from the Russian Federation. And so I texted a picture. of This is the first satellite, Sputnik. Those of you that don't care about this stuff, sorry, just tune me out. But anyway, I took a picture of it and texted it to my dad. My dad was an amateur radio operator at that time, and it, it rocked his world to see this thing going through the sky and hear a beep coming out through the radio from it. And so I, I took a picture of it and texted it to my dad and said, look what I found, you know, up here. And, and he wrote back, how could something so small create such big problems? Right? And he was right. That was the beginning of a race, of a Cold War. And so I... That was on the entrance lobby of of air and space. I walked across that lobby, and on display are two intercontinental ballistic cruise missiles, 
one from the United States and one from the Soviet Union, that are there by treaty to be forever on display as part of the Nuclear Arms Reduction Act to show the world the evil that we have overcome and put behind us. And yet, North Korea has launched just this week, right? How does good seed in a good field get so bad? People are doing this to people. So what happened to all this good seed? We have to remember, secondly, the world is the field where aspects of the kingdom are evident. The world is the field. Good seed is sown in the world by Jesus. And if we go back to the very beginning, the first couple chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we see that good seed was sown in a perfect field. Right? God created a perfect world and put perfect people in it. Good seed was sown there. But the enemy came in and began his work and led humanity astray, tempting Adam and Eve who chose disobedience toward God. And at that point, the field changed, the weed was sown, and everything in the world fell from perfection to problem. Right. Common question I'm asked on campus is if God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? And the answer is simple you and me. I'm the reason there's so much evil in the world. You're the reason there's so much evil in the world. It's us. We are the problem, as much as we don't want to admit it. We are the problem. We rebel against God. Sin reigns over us. Rather than living within the good of the kingdom of God through faith in the Son of God and repentance from sin, we choose our own way. So that, yes, such small things as a ball this big transmitting a radio signal can cause such big problems. But the good news of this parable is that aspects of the kingdom of heaven are still evident in the field, in the world. The Son of Man still sows good seed. Wheat still grows even among the weeds. Yes, the enemy is sowing weeds, but he has not prevented the growth of the wheat. Right? In this world, the kingdom of God has a real enemy in Satan. The enemy will do everything in all his power to ruin the kingdom of God. Scripture makes clear, Christian, that we are in a spiritual struggle against the forces of evil. But we can rejoice that the ultimate victory has been secured in Christ, right? proven through his death and resurrection, which we just sang about. It is one. Good seed has been sowed, right? Sown. We are not left in sin, but Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, came into the world to rescue us from sin, to save us from darkness into the kingdom of light. The picture Jesus creates in this story is of a, a weed-ridden field full of wheat, right? It's a picture of life. So living is not yet a perfect paradise. The world is not perfect. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. There's 
very real aspects of the kingdom of God now, but in the future we will fully realize what the kingdom of God fully is. And so by now we can see that in the church like you have here, we have a great picture of what we can expect in the kingdom. A recognition of the Lord and obedience to his ways, joyful worship, growing relationships, personal redemption, corporate redemption, acts of mercy and justice that go out into the world and shine like the sun from his church. We still have to know that this is just a glimpse, but it's an awesome glimpse of what is yet to come. And we need to remember that we have heard the word of the sower placed on our hearts and responded in faith. In a very real way, looking at this parable, we were all weeds made wheat through the salvation and justification Jesus gives us. We're not yet perfect, but we're growing. And the kingdom of God continues to grow in this world. Jesus is the author and master of the kingdom. This world is the field where he sows his good seed. And third, there's only two types of people in the world. Jesus creates a distinction in verses 25 to 30, 26 and then again in 38. Scripture presents only one division among people, the saved and the not saved. That's the one division that is presented among people everywhere and anywhere. In the context of this story, we would say wheat and weeds. We like division, but we need to step back in our divided world and realize that there's only one true division of people. And it's not political, it's not on your sporting teams, it's not on the college you choose to attend, it's not in your career, it's not your nationality, your ethnicity, how much money you earn. Those divisions are not ultimate. There's only one true division, the wheat and the weed. One thing that I didn't include in my introduction and Chris didn't include in his introduction about me is that I spent a decade of my life in agriculture before going into ministry. Specifically, I bred corn and soybean to produce seed that farmers could grow into a harvest, right? Not only that, I married into a farming family, right? So I've, I've worked to pollinate corn. This gets exciting. Right. Right. I've applied pollen to the silk to create the exact seed with the genes that we want to produce a harvest hundreds of times greater than that one seed. Right. I've also ridden in an 18-wheeled truck delivering tons of grain to the scales for sale. From beginning to end, I've worked the process, I've seen the process, and worked much of it by hand because of the requirements of research on the, on the breeding end, on the forefront of it. So that means I've planted by hand. I've ridden on a planter in a field, making sure to drop the exact seed in the planter at the exact time so that we would know what seed is, what plant grows where in the field. Right, and putting a little mark on it. I've watched that seed sprout and push through the ground, and 
I've hand-weeded across acres of corn. And when corn reaches knee length, I would work with teams to hoe out or hand-pull any weeds we saw developing. When the corn reached over my head, I've walked with a large gas-powered weed whacker and cleared the aisles, in be- the rows in between the corn. That was, that was fun. I won't lie. That was fun. But one thing I learned in all those years that is applicable here is that I know what a weed is. A weed is simply a plant out of place. And that's the strange part about weeds. They can be beautiful, but wrongly placed. Roses don't belong in a cornfield. In the back of one of our um, genetic breeding crossing plots, a wild strand of blackberries grew, and they may or may not have been tended back there. We did. We tended them a little bit. We were sent out to weed one day, and several of us came back with a decent trace of purple all around our mouths. And uh, quickly we were asked where we had been, and one Tim member explained that we had been we were asked where we had been. One team member quickly explained we'd been weed eating, right? Just eating the weeds. And it drew a laugh, but the point was clear. Though useful in so many ways, those blackberries were a weed that needed to be removed, right? And, and that's what's challenging when we see these stark clarifications of wheat and weeds. There's beauty out there, but it's out of place. It's outside the kingdom. It's meant to be for the kingdom, but it's outside of it, right? The other problem with weeds is that they're completely invasive and intrusive. Work as we might, we never had a weed-free field, ever. There's probably never been one in all of history. Right? This, Jesus told this story a couple thousand years ago, and he's exactly right, the The master says, no, let them grow together, elsewise you'll root up the wheat with the weeds. The only way to get a completely weed-free field is to destroy the whole field and let nothing grow there. In this parable, the enemy sows the weed in his destructive ways to destroy the field. As one of my professors put it in college, weeds are pervasive and pernicious taking nutrients from what was intentionally planted. They're out of place. Jesus explains that the weeds are the sons of the evil one. This is the distinction of the wheat and the weeds in the parable and the distinction of humanity and life. You're either a son of the son of man or a son of the evil one. It doesn't matter what breed of wheat you are or how beautiful or what type of weed you are, That is the simple distinction among all people, child of God or not. We need to be careful about labeling weeds ourselves. Some wheat looks like a weed. Some weeds look like wheat. The Son of Man knows what he planted, and so some judgments are left for him. I believe in a regenerate church membership, In the words of this parable, a church of wheat, right? However, we have to recognize that no human effort can produce the righteousness and understanding with which God judges humanity and divides humanity. 
So don't take from my sermon this morning that you should go out and start dividing humanity. That's not our goal. Our goal is to unite humanity in the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I preach the gospel, wheat and weed alike. Hear the good news of Jesus. We all need it. This parable is about the kingdom of heaven, which is growing in this world, though not fully realized. And a question may come, if I'm planted a wheat or if I'm planted a weed, am I always a wheat or a weed? Well, let's remember this, king, this parable is about the kingdom of heaven, so we don't want to individualize it too much. But for personal encouragement, let's look at the broader context of Matthew 13 regarding the kingdom of heaven. In verses 1 to 9, Jesus sows the seed of the gospel into people who receive it differently. You can be saved through believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sin, all the wrong and rebellion you've believed and done, and turning to follow his ways. You can be saved. It's not a question of am I always weed or weed, it's will I be saved through trusting Jesus. In verses 31 to 32, we see the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and will grow in this world to be strong and effective, believing the gospel will grow faith in you. And are you living to see the kingdom grow? In verse 33, we see the kingdom of heaven is like leaven and flour that works through entirely. Following Christ has purpose and goals in this life. Are you working to see the kingdom of God worked out in all of life? Verse 44, we see the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Sell everything you have and buy that field. Right? Come to Jesus. Give everything to be part of this kingdom. The question for personal application may be, do you treasure Jesus more than anything else in life? Right. In verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a pearl of great value And what a reminder that God did not spare his own son in purchasing us. God is the merchant who finds us through his son. Verses 47 to 50, we have another parable that mimics the wheat and the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a fisherman who catches good fish and bad fish and throws out the bad at the proper time. Only the perfection of the kingdom will remain and the struggle of life will end. Do you share this gospel so that others may be saved and know the joy that we have as Christians? Fourth, we need to know that the world will end and the kingdom will be fully realized. There will be an end to the world and the kingdom will be fully realized. Listen to how Jesus tells it and explains it. Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather him? He said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with him. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Right? 
There is love in letting the wheat and weeds grow together. There is love here. The end goal is the gathering of the wheat into his barn. In love, the wheat is preserved. For if it were rooted out now, the whole field would go. Right? 2 Peter 3.10 explains it this way, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is patient with us. We look at the evil and say, Where are you, Lord? When we need to see in this world the Lord's patience with us, his loving kindness toward us. And then in his explanation, Jesus says, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus didn't hide from hell. He made it clear here. The weeds are going to be taken and burned, and they'll be in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of God in heaven does not exclude the reality of hell. All causes of sin, all lawbreakers will be thrown into that fiery furnace a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a horrible place. Hell is no joking matter. It's not a word we should easily use because it is a real place that Jesus talks about. Nor is it a place we should ever wish someone to go. It's final. It's forever. And we need to remember that it's the destination of all of us apart from Christ. It's the destination of all of us apart from Christ. Right? Jesus changed our destiny. The good news he saved us with must be told others that he will save and change their destiny as well. This irritates our modern ears. It should make you squirm a little bit. Right? I couldn't write this without squirming. It's not pleasant. Hell is not pleasant. But we do well to remember that as in humanity there is only one division, so in eternity there is only one division. Heaven and hell. By the Son of God, we have responsibility to tell that heaven is ours through Christ. And it's available for all through Christ. And he is letting us grow in this field of the world in his patience, that we might have Christ. Right? At the end, the angels will separate those who do not follow Christ from those who do. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away, but with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3, 10-13. The 
the righteous will remain. And at the end of the world, the kingdom fully realized the righteous will shine like the sun because of Jesus. Our future Christian is bright. Earlier I referenced Daniel chapter 7 and talking about the Son of Man. I want to close with a couple verses from Daniel chapter 7 and also verse 12 as we think about this final promise of the kingdom of God. This is Daniel chapter 7 verse 12. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and his domi- all dominions shall serve and obey him. And at the time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let's believe this word Jesus teaches us about the kingdom and live like those who will shine like the sun forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, you make life clear to us because you are the author of life and you are true. Forgive us for wanting our own way. Forgive us for desiring to make our own kingdoms and working to make our own kingdoms. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin, our rebellion against your rule and reign. Thank you for sending your Son who sows good seed and who saves us. Thank you that we have purpose in living in a hopeful future and a bright eternity, all because of your love. Lord, use us to shine like the sun, to lead more people to know your love in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.